to work, huh? Gotta hurry. Ever feel like you're a little too rushed? Huh? Or that your skills aren't being fully utilized? Well, we all have to make sacrifices. Sacrifices? Yes, to the system, to our leaders. Sir, do you know what a cult is? It's a small group of people. Not necessarily. Cults can be huge. There's no upper limit on their size. Um, I guess. You might even be in a cult yourself. Me? N no, no, no. But if you were, would you know it? Of course. At least, I think so. What about people who are born into a cult? Do they know? Well, that's just sad. Someone should educate them. Just imagine being born into a cult and nobody to tell you. It's terrible. And would they even want to know? Oh dear. Just think of it. When people are born into a cult, their identity and worldview are hijacked by sophisticated symbols and rituals. They are raised and trained to see the world as the cult wants them to see it. Their understanding of themselves and their value in society is shaped continuously and exclusively by cult programming, which is implemented using basic psychological techniques. They don't make a full disclosure about what they are and how they operate. They want you to think that they're on your side and working for the forces of good. The truth of the cult must remain hidden because if you discovered it, you would leave them. Any attempt to question the teachings of the cult will result in punishment and being labeled as an enemy. Anyone thinking for themselves will be threatened with deprivation of privileges and loss of support from the group. Relentless indoctrination drills belief into the members. Lies are repeated until they're accepted without question, and members become willing to kill or die for the group. 
Cults isolate their members to prevent them from forming a balanced worldview. This begins by persuading members to ignore any views that conflict with theirs, and then becomes the outright banning of such information. Cults need outside demons and boogeymen to create group cohesion. This shifts focus away from rational decision-making. Members are kept frightened and focused on external threats, preventing them from clearly thinking things through. All of this is done for the benefit of the leaders. Cults rely on the narrative that what's good for the leaders is good for the group. All cult members are expected to work, suffer, sacrifice, and even die for the leaders. Marge, when I join an underground cult, I expect a little support for my family. Dad, do you think you might have been brainwashed? I have not been brainwashed. Kill the girl. This film makes the argument that the modern Western dream is built on and maintained by the fraudulent concept of materialism. A philosophy that has not only been discredited by science, but that also leads to a degradation of the human experience by eroding our relationships to each other and to our environment. The argument is not that people who aspire to the Western dream are inherently bad. It is that they have been systematically deceived seduced and brainwashed into believing the lies of materialism and coerced into complying with its demands. Getting to this point has been a long, slow process, taking thousands of years, resulting in an unsustainable system of self-imposed slavery in which individual identities are shaped by illusory notions of ownership and control, stripping people of the happiness that comes from meaningful and cooperative relationships with fellow humans, other living creatures, and the larger systems that make life itself possible. So just how did we become snared into the cult of materialism? How did we transform from a group built on cooperation and partnership with nature into a gang of violent, money-hungry individuals? How did running with the pack become dog-eat-dog? Dog? From the beginning, people's primary problem has been scarcity. The experience of lack drives a desire to harness and master natural systems, to make them work for us, to overcome scarcity, and live in abundance. The urge to acquire necessary things beyond our basic needs began as a natural survival instinct. We were planning for the future and playing it safe. With the development of irrigation and the rise of cities, the average person's life got easier. Extended roads and trading networks made material goods more available, but only in abundance for a privileged few, the leaders. From the beginning of human history, there were only a handful of conspicuous consumers. Luxury always had a secondary purpose, to distinguish the leaders from the followers. Social classes began to take shape and divide the haves from the have-nots. The idea of poverty was born. The poor were kept in line, forcibly at first, by the local authorities. Oh, come and see the violence inherent in the system! 
Help! Help! I'm being repressed! Later, they were controlled psychologically by emerging religions, which allowed for the maintenance of social order in an unjust social system. All of the major faiths have historically placed community above the individual and emphasized spiritual virtue over material possessions, which were seen as a temporary vanity of earthly life, as opposed to the hereafter, believed to be superior and everlasting. When religion was the dominant social influence, it reinforced the masses' willingness to be satisfied with the bare necessities. Frugality, not self-indulgence, reflected the wisdom of the ages. Because, after all, what really mattered for them was life after death, not opulence and decadence here on Earth. But, after millennia of wealth and material abundance being either unattainable or forbidden, everything was about to change. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 The creation of gunpowder revolutionized warfare and land conquest. The introduction of the printing press in Europe exposed people to ideas other than those presented in the Bible. Innovations like the magnetic compass allowed European ships to explore the world. When new trade routes opened up, a new class of merchants and entrepreneurs discovered ways to exploit people's desire for worldly goods such as coffee, sugar, chocolate, and silk. This booming business fueled the rise of banks that financed and profited from these global journeys to exploit the world's riches. The bankers and merchants became so wealthy that they overtook the kings, now lending them the money they needed to fight their wars and maintain power. The bankers and merchants made it socially acceptable to consume in excess and began to flaunt their wealth. Improvements in the manufacture of lenses for reading glasses led to the development of the telescope. Gravity was soon discovered by observing the orbits of the planets around the sun, and this led to the formulation of scientific theories describing the laws of motion. While discovery, invention, and economic growth were generally welcomed, conservative thinkers didn't trust the social changes that often accompanied such advances. Organizations like the church and the aristocracy claimed that any change to the traditional way of living might lead to disaster. Of course, they feared losing their privileged positions of wealth and control. I did not make myself king. God did. King by divine right. But church leaders and monarchs who claimed that their authority was based on a divine right from God abused their power terribly. Eventually, these abuses prompted philosophers to reject claims of religious authority as being based in myth and fueled the rise of the physical sciences in what is known as the Age of Enlightenment. In this period, reason, observation, and the experiments of scientists such as Copernicus, Kepler, Galileo, and Isaac Newton merged with the philosophy of empiricism. Thinkers such as John Locke and David Hume began arguing against abstract notions of mind and in favor of the primary properties of objects. This all combined to usher in a purely mechanical model of the universe.
Belief in this overall worldview, or hypothesis about the nature of reality, as purely physical, with random operations giving rise to increasingly complex systems including life and consciousness, is called materialism. This view freed the individual from moral constraints and allowed for an unlimited accumulation of wealth under the guise of legal ownership, backed up by the authority of a court system, which itself favors the wealthy since the best lawyers cost the most money. Materialism promotes and justifies the pursuit of selfish pleasure since the universe is conceived as being nothing but a collection of physical objects anyway, devoid of any higher ethical order and this promotes an attitude of the one who dies with the most toys wins. By 1776, the year that the United States was born, one person would capture the spirit of self-interested individualism in his book, The Wealth of Nations. Adam Smith argued that self-indulgence worked as an economic driver that would make everyone wealthy. The best way to encourage economic growth, Smith argued, is to unleash individuals to pursue their own selfish economic interests. Smith provided the model for an economic system based on false materialist assumptions that would begin to take over the world. The fate of the modern era was then sealed with the invention of the steam engine at the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. During the 19th century, it began to look like scarcity may be overcome. Personal wealth and the trade it promoted drove an unparalleled economic boom. Giant factories were built to provide the goods that society now demanded. The Industrial Revolution powered a continuing emphasis on materialism, and the cult became our culture. Mountains of manufactured goods began to appear. Cheap stuff that more and more people could afford. It was all very seductive. Everyone began to abandon sustainable relationships with the natural world and sent their kids to work in factories. Young children were actually sold to mills and became their property. Many died from malnutrition, fatigue, and diseases such as brown lung. Abundance of consumer goods meant scarcity of concern for each other. It wasn't just the production of consumer items that was revolutionized by factories and mechanization. The process of acquiring goods was itself transformed. You are a true believer. Blessings of the state. Please forgive me. Blessings of the masses. Modern stores began to open in the 1800s, and shopping became both a necessity and a respectable leisure activity. Department stores offered a wonder world of material luxuries and presented shopping as a replacement for relationships with nature. Stores became the churches for a new religion, the cult of materialism. And there was one country in which this cult would become a complete way of life. By the early 20th century, Americans had the highest personal wealth in the world, creating huge new markets. Enterprising business people realized that they could make a fortune producing luxury items that even the average working person could afford. New factories based on the assembly line process made cheap cars available to the masses. In the 1920s, ordinary Americans came to believe that affluence was their birthright, thus materialism became an integral part of the Western dream. It began stimulating and manipulating people's desires through advertising, sowing the seeds of greed and envy. 
Creating temptation and seduction became just as important as providing the consumer with information. Let us be thankful we have an occupation to fill. Work hard. Increase production. Prevent accidents. And be happy. The high priests of advertising turned to the science of psychology. One of the pioneers was Edward Bernays, known as the father of public relations. He was fascinated by the theories of his uncle, Sigmund Freud, who believed that if you understood what motivated people at a subconscious level, you could influence their behavior without them knowing, enticing them to purchase more and more. Bernays said, in almost every act of our daily lives, we are dominated by the relatively small number of persons who understand the mental process of the masses. It is they who control the public mind. Over time, advertisers perfected methods to hijack our subconscious emotional process. Pretty soon it wasn't what the product did that mattered. It was the kind of person that it promised to make you. This is a man who smokes Marlboro cigarettes. What kind of a man is he? I'm a guy who likes to work on my car. Materialism was now deep inside our heads, exploiting our emotions and instincts, shaping our identities. Would you like to go shopping? We were all being trained to desire manufactured objects and reject a relationship with nature. Hey, what's for lunch? Something quick. Ever stop to wonder where that meat came from? Well, no. It used to be that a person working in the field would use a plow being pulled by a horse or an ox. The person was having a cooperative relationship with the animal and could smell the earth beneath their feet. They had an acquired knowledge of the seasons that came from a relationship to the sun, moon, and stars. Until recently, it was completely normal for a person to know the name of the animal they were eating. After all, they raised it. They may even know the names of the animal's parents. Compare the experience of our ancestors engaged in working relationships with animals and natural systems to the modern Western version of working in the field, riding in the air-conditioned cab of a gasoline-powered industrial machine, guided by GPS satellites, now cut off from contact with the soil and extended natural systems, no more cooperative relationships. You're not even really involved in the process anymore, are you? Of course, materialism hasn't always gone completely unopposed. In the 1960s, millions of people attempted to drop out of the cult and return to a sustainable relationship with nature. But most of these attempts were ill-advised, and soon, trashing the environment was again being accepted as a reasonable requirement for membership in the cult of materialism. Then, in the late 70s, messages from environmental groups like Greenpeace and Friends of the Earth began to resonate with the public. This frightened the leaders, and in response, a new breed of politicians rose up. Financed by the corporate machine and dismissed environmental warnings, ushering in an age of runaway materialism. 
hippies were replaced by yuppies, and their philosophy was summed up in the movie Wall Street. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Through the 1980s, success was defined by how much stuff we had. And today, the monster we've unleashed has grown and become so powerful that even the authorities are simply slaves to it. Elected officials and their appointees are merely selected from the pool of brainwashed addicts that are dependent on the system. And the more they reinforce the system, the greater their reward. We hear a continuous narrative from economists and politicians about the need for consumer spending and endless economic growth. Every day, we're bombarded with messages suggesting that the good life is only attainable by making lots of money and spending it on products that promise to make us happy and respected. $600 billion a year is spent to embed materialist propaganda in every visible space, on television, the internet, billboards, on planes, trains, and taxis, in public bathrooms, on neon signs and escalator handrails. But materialist culture also reaches deeper, burrowing its way into people's psyches, hijacking their identity, and influencing them to organize their entire lives around higher salaries and owning more stuff. Here in the United States, we have only 5% of the world's population, but use 25% of the planet's resources. And instead of using this incredible position of privilege to solve problems, we're worshiping things. While the world burns down around us, we're window shopping for another shiny item, another gadget. Trying to buy nicer stuff to make our already nice homes nicer and nicer. And in doing so, just making the problems worse. Unfortunately, all this cheap stuff comes at an enormous cost. We're paying for all these trinkets with the well-being of both the people and the planet. And we're not gaining happiness from all this stuff. It's actually making us miserable. Gotta make sure that the register totals match the cash and checks and the coupons. and Then you got the order forms to fill out for the next day. Got to check the stock. I mean, it's, there's a lot to do there. It's... It, Researchers have discovered that as people prioritize materialist goals, they report less happiness and life satisfaction, experiencing fewer pleasant emotions in daily life. Depression, anxiety, violence, and substance abuse also tend to be higher among people who aspire to materialist goals. These goals influence our family and social relationships, thereby affecting other people's thinking and well-being. This is how the virus of materialism spreads. If you want to be popular, you need the latest item, fashion or fad. First, the ads convince one consumer, who then convinces someone else. Research also indicates that materialist values and pro-social values are antagonistic. That is, as materialist values rise, pro-social values decline. This helps explain why people act in less empathetic, generous, and cooperative ways when money is on their minds. When people are under the sway of materialism, they care less about the earth. 
numerous studies reveal that people who prioritize money, image, and status are far less likely to engage in ecologically beneficial activities such as recycling. As materialist values go up, concern for nature goes down. So, if we want to live in a happier, more peaceful, and ecologically sustainable world, we'll need to reduce materialist values in our personal lives, in our families, and our communities. Know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. You want to take it all for yourself and cut me out? Materialism has created extreme economic inequalities that threaten to tear apart the very fabric of our society. We've been brainwashed into believing that our role as a productive citizen is to consume more and more every year, even if we have to go into debt to do it. We've structured our economy around the cult of materialism. We're all dependent on it. It's become our master. If everyone doesn't continue to feed the monster and keep shopping for stuff we don't need, then we'll all start losing our jobs, companies will shut down, Wall Street will panic, and the economy will crash. So, we are no longer free individuals. We are slaves to the cult. Materialism strips a person of their natural values and attempts to fill the resulting hole in our lives with the simple idea of consumption. Bored? Go shopping. Depressed? Go shopping. Feeling good? Celebrate by shopping! The entire advertising industry is pushing you to consume ever more material goods, to splurge, to make irrational, wasteful purchases, to buy on impulse, to supersize it, to upsell and upgrade yourself into a raging shopaholic. Your primary duty is to shop, regardless of other concerns, regardless of the environmental consequences. Whether or not you really need any of the stuff you're buying, or if you have any place to put these things, just keep consuming, even if you have no money. Just use credit. Nothing can stop the mindless accumulation of more and more stuff. There was so much mayhem after she pepper sprayed even children inside the store trying to get to this Xbox 360 uh, that they didn't know who did what and she was able to get to the register, she was able to check out. Not even terrorist attacks can stop the shopping. We cannot let the terrorists achieve the objective of frightening our nation to the point where we don't, uh, where we don't conduct business, where people don't shop. As the saying goes, shop till you drop. The cult tells you that the more you consume, the better your life will be. But this is a dangerous, even deadly myth. Each individual can be seduced and sucked into extreme materialist behaviors, but imagine all these separate acts of irrational consumption multiplied by over 7 billion people, then sit back and watch the global catastrophe happen. The viral mythology of materialism is so pervasive that it has infected all areas of our culture. Many religious leaders now preach what is known as the prosperity gospel, assuring their congregations that coveting money and the insatiable hoarding of wealth are blessed behaviors. It should come as no surprise that these so-called religious leaders live extravagant, lavish lifestyles, complete with huge mansions and private jets. Our education system has also been hijacked by materialism. And who can tell me where thunder and lightning come from? Yes, Bart? 
The leader, ma'am. Very good, Bart. And who invented Morse code? Oh, I should know this one. The the leader? Ah, correct again. The primary purpose for learning is now seen as making money. There's no other reason to go to school, right? This attitude has led to the elimination of arts and literature programs in American schools, resulting in citizens who lack an appreciation for beauty, unable to express themselves in a positive, creative manner and make contributions to our culture. Absolute rubbish, laddies! We are sacrificing well-rounded members of society for mindless worker bees that will submit to the dictates of the cult and aspire to shop till they drop. It's been almost 250 years since Adam Smith told us that the selfish pursuit of wealth was good, not just for the individual, but good for society, too. Finally, we're beginning to realize just how expensive this experiment in greed and selfishness has been. We now find ourselves trapped in an unsustainable lifestyle, commuting to the city for work just to afford the car payments, gas, and rent in the suburbs, spraying our lawns with toxic chemicals, unable to avoid all the wasteful packaging in supermarkets. With only 5% of the world's population, the U.S. generates 30% of the world's garbage. And the amount we throw away just keeps growing. We now need thousands of landfill sites to deal with the billion tons of waste we produce each year, and less than 2% of our waste is recycled. Every 12 months we throw away 1.5 million computers, 99% of them in perfect working order. 3 million working refrigerators are discarded annually. And we're always buying more products, more things we don't really need, jamming more and more stuff into rented storage spaces until it finally winds up being discarded. We're using more energy, creating more junk, and working longer hours for less money to buy all of it. Going further into debt, feeling miserable, and taking ever more drugs to combat our depression and stress-related illnesses. Of course, this system also creates poisonous waste, which finds its way into our drinking water and food supply. This polluted process is now threatening the future of life on Earth. Across the world, more and more countries are following, and even overtaking us in the pursuit of the Western dream. China's economy swelled at a phenomenal rate, resulting in an explosion of consumption. The creation of a world-class consumer economy took centuries to develop in the West, but China's transformation took only a few decades. They now have more cars on the road than the United States, and they're adding 20 million more every year. But they have five times more people than the U.S. So, when China achieves the same percentage of car ownership as the U.S., roughly one car per person, they will need to import more oil every day than the entire world currently produces in a day. Let's not forget about India, which is poised to overtake China as the world's most populous country by 2022. And like everyone else, they'll want smartphones, cars, refrigerators, and microwave ovens. It just isn't possible to provide the Western materialist dream to every country on Earth. The math simply doesn't work. If all 7 billion people on Earth consumed at the same level as in the US, we'd need two extra planets to supply our food, energy, water, and raw materials. 
We have to stop traveling down this road. It's not just a problem of supply. The cult of materialism is destroying our very experience of life. The system demands that companies compete to keep their consumers happy with ever lower prices, and workers in developing countries suffer as a result. Sweatshops, child labor, dangerous working conditions, shamefully low wages. Life has become a degrading experience for hundreds of millions of people. This is the result of viewing living beings as nothing more than cogs in an industrial machine. One of the worst effects of materialism is armed conflict. Competition for industrial resources such as oil, gold, minerals, and the control of strategic waterways to transport these resources leads to violence and combat. Warfare pays handsomely for those who sell tanks, fighter jets, helicopters, bombs, and machine guns. Bankers and merchants finance wars and then lay legal claim to the spoils taken by the victors. As long as the leaders can get rich from war, they will find ways to create war. Wasteful inefficiency, broken social systems, toxic pollution, drug addiction, perpetual violence, misery, all result from belief in the false claims of materialism. The relentless struggle to acquire more money and buy more stuff is ultimately self-defeating. What most of us naturally crave is to feel loved, connected to others, and valued in our community. We want to feel good about our real selves, not just about our image, and materialism can't satisfy those needs. We are beginning to understand how negative emotions make people susceptible to materialism. For instance, Studies show that people focus more on material possessions when they feel insecure. It's natural for people to use possessions as an extension of identity, sometimes to compensate for perceived personal shortcomings. But the desire to indulge in high-quality items can also be used to support positive activity, like a creative hobby or just exploring your environment. Research has also found that the more people are exposed to the media, the more they prioritize materialist goals. Consider using strategies to diminish the onslaught of advertising by using an ad blocker while on the internet or hitting the mute button when commercials play on TV. Another idea would be to remove advertising from public spaces and schools so that people aren't continuously exposed to materialist propaganda. Raising your emotional awareness will help make you less susceptible to manipulative advertising and more sensitive to the emotional states of those around you. We can't allow the cult of materialism to stunt our emotional growth. Understanding your emotions is the key to letting go of fear and connecting to compassion.
getting food from local farmers and other goods from local craftspeople strengthens the community and creates employment opportunities close to home. There are practical solutions if we have the courage to act on them, and the time is now. A better life can be found if we turn away from today's emphasis on object ownership and reassess the role of money as our primary measure of success. The daily grind really wears you down, huh? Just remember, there are alternatives. We should probably look for a new philosophy to guide us. A new way of understanding the world to replace the dangerous and destructive myth of materialism. It must be rational, supported by logic, and promote a healthy social order. Is this even possible? Maybe what we're looking for isn't new at all. Maybe it's been right here under our noses the whole time. Idealism is the hypothesis that the world we experience is emerging from a deeper order, beyond our perception. So, our world is something like an illusion that's being projected for us as an audience. The Greek philosopher Plato told a story called The Allegory of the Cave to express this idea. A group of prisoners have been confined in a cave since birth with their backs to the entrance, unable to turn their heads and with no knowledge of the outside world. Occasionally, however, people and other things pass by the cave opening, casting shadows and echoes onto the wall. The prisoners name and classify these illusions, believing that they are perceiving actual entities. One prisoner gets free and leaves the cave for the first time. The light hurts his eyes, and he finds the new environment disorienting. When told that the things around him are real, while the shadows are mere silhouettes, he can't believe it. The shadows appear much clearer to him, but gradually his eyes adjust until he can look at reflections in the water, then at objects directly, and finally at the sun, whose light is the ultimate source of everything he has seen. The prisoner returns to the cave to share his discoveries, but he is no longer used to the darkness and has a hard time seeing the shadows on the wall. The other prisoners think his journey has made him crazy, and they violently resist his attempts to free them. You can expect members of the cult of materialism to respond in a similar way. When people are confronted with information that undermines their worldview, they'll have a negative emotional response. Once you've seen the light, you'll know things that others can't understand. The concept of idealism is also sometimes expressed using the dream analogy. Every time you dream, your mind is simultaneously creating a self, a space, a time, and the illusion of matter in order to provide you with an experience. This subconscious aspect of mind is so incredibly powerful that it actually creates an entire dream universe for you to stroll through and have the experience of being an individual. In waking reality, you identify with the object that is your body, and the same is true when you're dreaming as it's just an image designed by your mind to allow the experience you're having. 
If you should realize that your body and the objects around you are an illusion that your higher mind is supplying, the creative power of this higher mind becomes available to you, allowing you to change the experience. This phenomenon is known as lucid dreaming. So, if you drop a glass in a dream, it will smash on the floor. But, if you then realize that you're dreaming, the pieces can come back together and be whole again. Because the glass is simply an object created by your mind. In this way, you become the author of your experience. Idealism asserts that the waking world is also created by an organizing aspect of mind that is outside of our direct experience. Like a dream, since the external objects of our experience appear to be separate from us, it is assumed that these objects have an existence of their own, independent of us as observers. But this belief may be explained by what German idealist Johann Fichte described as the self-positing nature of identity. In order to understand ourselves as individuals, we must first posit a self as an object, our body, and this necessitates the positing of other objects that are not self, all the things that surround us that make up our world, just as in a dream. Our higher mind creates a body and an environment because we need them to have an identity and an experience. So in this way, matter may be seen as a necessary consequence of the desire for experience, but matter is not seen as the cause of reality. After all, no one would say that the objects in a dream are the cause of the dream. Matter and the body are understood as a secondary effect of the mind, as a framework that supports the possibility of experience. Just as a video game needs a simulated physical environment for the action to take place in, matter is seen as a stage on which the play of life is performed. In other words, you are not your body. You are the consciousness that is represented by your body. The mind simply associates the body with your identity. This is demonstrated by the fake hand experiment. A subject places both hands on a table with one arm hidden behind a divider. A cloth helps create the illusion that the fake hand is theirs. When both hands are brushed simultaneously, the subject assigns sensation to the fake hand. When a hammer is brought down on it, the subject feels pain. This happens because the subject integrates an illusory body into their identity. When we reduce ourselves to mere matter, we reduce our fellow beings as well. And instead of developing relationships of mutual trust and cooperation, we relate based on ideas of ownership and control. This leads to animal abuse, like the kind that is seen in industrial meat supply. It leads to human slavery and bondage, as seen in indentured servitude and prison-for-profit schemes. It diminishes others to sex objects and a host of other problems. Our identities may have gotten out of balance. We seem to have forgotten our value as representatives of the mind. Fortunately, it's not too late, and we can still incorporate idealistic values back into our thought process to regain our footing. The way out of the cult is through a shift in self-understanding, away from that of being just a body and toward that of being a complete person. Making this shift can be difficult because the system depends on you not knowing your whole self and your true authority. 
The cult would have you believe that you are nothing but an object, stamped, cataloged, owned and controlled by their system. But human identity cannot be reduced to DNA, fingerprints and birth dates. You're much more than that. And they know that once you discover this, they can no longer control you. It may seem difficult at times, like you're surrounded on all sides by the forces of ownership and control. But don't be discouraged. You can escape. It was abuses of power by churches and monarchs that created a need for materialism to refute their claims of divinely granted absolute power. This was justified and necessary, but we may have thrown out the baby with the bathwater and created an even bigger problem. Luckily, people are survivors. We've made it this far by being able to recognize a need to adapt under changing conditions and we will successfully adapt to these new conditions as well. Every year, more people are escaping the rat race by lowering their overhead, working fewer hours, spending more time with family and friends, choosing to live in smaller homes and using the savings to travel more, enhancing their relationship with nature and the global village, sacrificing a higher income for a higher quality of life transforming relationships of power and control into partnership and cooperation. Ask yourself whether your desire for material possessions determines your ideas and values, or if your ideas and values determine how much you desire material possessions. Luminous being so weak, not this crude factor. What you believe makes a big difference in how you feel and how you treat others. Once you see the light, you won't be seduced into buying things you don't need. You'll no longer be isolated and won't submit to coercion. You'll remember that there is no us against them because we're all in this together. Recognizing a deeper fundamental identity promotes emotional awareness and a turning away from short-sighted distractions. We can all embrace these new challenges and improve the experience of those around us. We can root for each other and share in each other's joy. Understanding that the mind is the source of all things means that the future is ours to create. And together, we will succeed.
Wow, I can't believe that whole thing uploaded. That was the cult of materialism. If you didn't hear it, just swipe back. And uh, it's a really good documentary. I was very skeptical throughout the whole thing. But I think for the most part, the documentary was right on. I, I really would challenge anyone to uh, criticize any of the views put forth in this documentary. So congratulations if you actually listened here on Anchor to the whole thing. You're awesome. I think the documentary uh, implicates us all fairly enough. And I think we all have varying degrees in which materialism uh, is true to us. And in general, I'm very leery of isms. But I think that the isms uh, in this documentary were used well. So the main thing that I carry away from it myself is that we all have to, you know, acknowledge where we are in being materialistic and figuring out ways to um, lessen our materialism. Uh, I'm sure there's some people out there that um, <laughs> there is the opposite. They need to be more materialistic, but I don't think those are the people that are causing the problems. <laughs> and, you know, one ism begets another. So I like how this documentary balanced out materialism with idealism. You know, a lot of the media references that they used in order to create this documentary were current, relevant, historically appropriate. And if you watch the video, uh, just look it up on Google, Cult of Materialism, uh, all of the references uh, are uh, stated at the end, all the credits. Uh, it's funny, the credits read more like the end of a term paper. <laughs> now, in risk of sounding uh, too new agey, I'll just say this, that the documentary could have been improved. It could have been better if there was some sort of connection to Wing Chun Gung Fu. I know, it sounds nutty, sounds kooky. I mean... If I were into crocheting, then what I would associate all these profound uh, matters with crocheting, wouldn't I? Well, I guess as a gung fu man that crocheted, yeah, I guess I probably could. But what's needed here is a bridge from materialism to idealism. And that bridge is very important. And currently, I guess it's expected that everyone create their own individual metaphorical bridge between being a materialist human to an idealist human. In other words, uh, if you pursue idealism without the proper bridge, you're going to wind up in a hole uh, wearing a diaper, meditating to some unknown deity while uh, others walk away with your worldly possessions. Wing Chun Gung Fu has created this beautiful physical method and even has within it a system called Chum Q, or bridge. Simply telling people not to be themselves, not to be human, 
not to be not to behave like their animal selves is not enough. You have to give them some sort of path. And you have to give them some sort of bridge from going from one way of being to another. This system of slavery is going to take perhaps more lifetimes to go away, but perhaps not. Maybe we can do it within our lifetime. Perhaps within our lifetime, we can all come together as one, at least as a critical mass and abolish slavery once and for all. And we can all work towards attaining our level one humanity. We can all go from knowing what's right to doing what's right. And none of us will have our hands forced to do the wrong thing. Thanks for listening. Integrity Radio. This is Brown. He's like the most lesbo teacher I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> you know what I mean? Why you reading, bitch? Because I like to read and this is a really good book. You're a really good bitch, bitch. Why you gotta bother me, man? Because I'm not doing very well at school. I'm reading at a third grade level. I really don't want to get left back. So when I see somebody reading for fun, it makes me feel that much more stupid. And then I get mad. Um, I didn't know that. I, thanks so much for opening up to me. Shut up, queer. I understand. Why, I mean, why you got to go there? I've been having sexual fantasies about some of the other guys at school. What? Give me that. I'm afraid of these feelings and what they might mean. It's like because I hate myself so much, I gotta point that hate outward towards you. Okay. <laughs> I, you understand this on such a deep level that you, I don't oh, understand. Oh, now I'm gonna punish you physically for acknowledging my emotional problems. Wait, 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 wait. I, I was gonna say if you understand yourself so well, then maybe you should try working on changing it. Of course I wanna change it. But it's the only defense mechanism I have against deeper, more terrifying problems buried inside of me. Lucky my dad's here. Get the damn truck, son. I need to take you home and beat on you because I hate myself. And you look like your mother who left me. And I'm going to block out the guilt I feel over mistreating you with the river of vodka. I'm going to internalize that and unknowingly transfer it onto you tomorrow. Coming reluctantly. <laughs> everybody z here uh, patrick over at the great everything asked me to come up with a uh a segment for him regarding um sort of explaining what wing chun is and um since he's become uh, a student now he's going back to college and studying um philosophy should be studying psychology but that you know whatever okay uh, <laughs> so i don't know if he'll actually get around to airing my piece because he's man so busy and uh patrick if you're listening to this good luck buddy so this is what i came up with wing chun the systematic study of human behavior. 
as distinct from the study of animal behavior, which is the province of biological science. Wing Chun is ordinarily thought of as consisting of four broad areas, Qi Sao, Qi Na, Qi Gurk, and Qi Gong. Now, when I'm referring to human behavior, I'm essentially encompassing all of the inorganic world. And when I refer to animal behavior, I'm referring to the organic world. When I speak of Qi Sao, I speak of the movement of heavenly bodies. When I talk about Qi Na, I'm talking about the entanglement of physics and their various relationships. When I'm talking about Qi Gurk, I'm talking about the art of changing and the study of changing. And when I'm talking about Qi Gong, I'm talking about your relationship to the ground, your foundation to the earth and your understanding of your immediate environment, but essentially your relationship and your connection to the ground. Wing Chun is the study of these things. Integrity Radio. And now, the ballad of the question. What keeps mankind alive? You gentlemen who think you have a mission to purge us of the seven deadly sins should first sort out the basic food position, then start your preaching. That's where it all begins. You lot to preach restraint and watch your waste as well. To learn for once the way the world is run. However much you twist, or whatever lies you tell, food is the first thing. Morals follow on. So first be sure that those who are now starving get proper helpings when we all start carving. What keeps mankind alive? What keeps mankind alive? The fact that millions are daily tortured, starved, silenced, and oppressed. Mankind can keep alive thanks to his aptitude for keeping his Humanity repressed. And now for once, 
You must try to face the facts. Mankind is kept alive by bestial acts. And for once, you must try to face the facts. Mankind is kept alive by bestial acts. <laughs>